You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. This episode is a highlight clip from this week's full episode. To listen in on the complete conversation, see the show notes for the link to the complete show. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate every bit of your support. I'm Morgan McKittrick, your producer, and this is Decidedly. You know, they all have a very common theme, which is essentially a relying upon uh, folks, insiders to come forward and to provide the government uh, their information. And then we work with our law enforcement DOJ partners to try to get to the bottom of those facts. And, you know, it all comes back to the credibility of the individuals who make those decisions. And that's a phenomenal decidedly topic, to tell you the truth, which is, you know, how does one decide to do that? How do you decide to do the difficult? I'm thinking that initially, correct me if I'm wrong, is that most of the people who would come forward are not coming forward for this this bounty or this revenue, I would, I would think. I, I would think a lot of them are coming forward because they got a social conscience or there's a safety issue or uh, some, something along those lines. So difficult to know the data on that, but I can tell you just from my own practice about knowing which clients I have talked to over the years and which ones actually decide to ultimately uh, go to the next step and actually be part of a claim. It, not all of them do. Um, and those are the ones that are, have already kind of made decision tree analysis that at least I need to talk to somebody who knows as an attorney, right? They can have a confidential, you know, privileged communication. A lot of the times where I think they're kind of difficult zone is when they're within the company still and they're trying to decide, am I crazy? Or is this really, you know, I, they need a someone to actually objectively look at their information and tell them, um, yeah, this is a thing or no, this is not. And here's why. And of course, if it is something that has gone off the rails within a company, then you have to look at, have you, have you done the things that you would normally want to do, right? You've gone through your chain of command. You've gone to the compliance department and you'd be surprised at how many times that's done. Where people have gone up through the right channels and nothing yeah. happened. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you're, you're literally have had clients that are sitting, moved to the basement with an empty room, they are giving a, you know, a pencil, a piece of paper, do nothing, buzzing refrigerator that's not working in the corner, that type of nonsense in order to basically, you don't want to get, is, is that kind of stuff really happens? I mean, of course, not, of course. I, you know, I always hear, sto- you always hear stories, but you, I'm just, if you're seeing that happen is that that's people who are sort of uh, wanting to bring attention to wrongdoing within their own company or getting that sort of heavy-handed response? And much heavier in times. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's it's shocking. If I mean, Look, you're not, you know, think about this, right? Co- co- companies don't make bad decisions. People make bad decisions, right? I mean, right. is is driven by the management tone and the executive leadership. And if at the top of a company, it's tolerated, and in fact, perhaps complicit, it's going to be okay all the way down 
that this is not, you know, this is not something we're going to get in front of and do the right thing. And so those are the people that I, I really want to try to help because those are the people who are truly up against it, right? Think about that. If you have the right ethics, the right morals, you're, you, you know something is wrong in that whatever financial services company or that bank or that pharmaceutical company, sometimes so wrong it can affect the health and safety of Americans, right? Yeah, right. Bad drugs. My case in Ranbaxy that I, I did a number of years ago was that model. And yet they don't want to, as a corporate response, they don't want to own that. So it happens, uh, surprisingly. I, I would bet that anybody going through a process like that has to balance out the their commitment to loyalty to their company and the people they work with, and the, you know, their employer and their commitment to morality or you know, yeah. safety and, and, you know, doing the right thing. And so I think it's probably going to be a really challenging uh, decision for people faced with that. You it reminds me of what, uh, what Celeste Holbrook mm-hmm. taught us about um, her decision-making framework. So our friend Celeste is a therapist and she said that she'll go through this framework when she makes decisions. On one hand, what do I intellectually know? Like, what are the facts? And then what are, what do I morally know? So what's morally right or wrong? And then what's my intuition? And yeah. balance that out, mm-hmm. right? Balance um, the three. And um, that's how she'll make difficult choices. And I would imagine that if you're, you have an opportunity to be a whistleblower, um, you you know, it, I don't know whether it's the morals or the facts that are the, that are the first red flag for you. Um, but I think we're lying to ourselves, those of us who say, oh, I obviously would have the intuition to do the right thing. I don't know. There's probably yeah. dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds of people who have known the facts, known them, made the right moral judgment and had the intuition and still not done it. Well, I, I think based on your attitude of the company you're reporting against or the yeah. institution you're reporting against, I may see you as as a hero or a villain. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I may take that position and say, oh, you know, you're reporting against uh, a politician I don't like. So now I think you're a hero. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting in the in his particular Dinesh's context, it was all the more complicated because uh, as he would explain to you much better than I can, you know, India, even in business, India is a caste system. And so you cannot, you cannot at certain levels, just speak up against the the top leadership of a company, not without dire consequence, but be that as it may, I assure you, and I'm not being specific to that case, although I could be, um, most of my cases, what you find is there are many, many people in the organizational structure who are aware of what is going on, but for whatever reason, have not decided to take that on, meaning to to make that something that they believe they have to stand and fight on. And I'm talking about people in companies that that are dealing in healthcare, which is to me the zenith of, of when your ethics should trigger 
as opposed to, and I'm not saying it's any less to get in financial services of fraud or what have you, but I'm just saying those are the moments where you really question how it is possible that those other people, some of whom are actually kind of not only not saying anything, but part of the process to make your whistleblower client uncomfortable, you know, not uh, valued, basically find a way to get them the hell out of the company. It also kind of reminds me of that, I think it's Stanley Milgram uh, experiment at Yale in the 1960s, right? That's the obedience to authority thing, right? Where I think Milgram's experiment essentially was, you know, if you have somebody who is told they need to administer a shock um, and somebody in authority is telling them, you need to now administer that shock. I know I'm not doing great justice to Milgram's experiment. The point was, I think 65% of the people in that experiment were willing to dose shocks of somebody who was screaming in agony up to mm -hmm. 450 volts. So they were shocking the hell out of someone. And why was that? Well, I think one of the things they were saying is there was somebody in authority who was saying, this is what needs to be done. Yeah. So how, why do the 35% decide, you know, that's not what needs to be done? I, I don't know. I, I, I commonly say to clients that the people I represent are the ones who are not, you know, they drive down a the street, they see a, they see a fire in a residential neighborhood, right? They're the ones who stop. There are going to be certain people who will stop and call 911. Maybe everyone does that. And there are going to be these types of people who will stop and they'll go inside knowing it's a personal risk. Do that because there's a fire in there. Who the hell knows yeah. what's really going on? But they have that compass. They almost can't stop you know, from going in. That's why it's such a, it's such an honor to, to help them through it. You got to realize a lot of these cases that I do, well, well, in fact, for all of the cases for some period of time are non-public, right? So what does that mean? That means they're in certain types of cases, they're under a court ordered seal. What that means is that the existence of, of that whistleblower having filed that matter against that company cannot be discussed by them. They can't tell their wife or their husband, can't tell their, really shouldn't be telling anyone, priest or their dog, it should be buttoned up. And they have to do that, knowing that that's part of the price of admission to make that type of claim. So I kid my, my wife about, you know, a lot of my job is as a, you know, daytime <laughs> psychologist to kind of just listen, <laughs> right? Yeah. To, to be the one they can talk to because I'm subject to that seal and I can I can hear all of it. But they can't just go to the you know bar down the street and be like, oh, you're not going to believe this one now. It's yeah. it's not easy to be that way. Thanks for making the great decision to listen in to this week's episode highlight. If you want more of what you just heard, see the show notes for the full episode. As always, for the latest decision-making tips, find us on decidedlypodcast.com or on Instagram at decidedlypodcast. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter from the link in the show notes. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review as well. We read all of your comments, so if you learned some decision-making tips today, let us know. Until next time, this is Decidedly.
Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.